Hello listeners, welcome to our second episode about William Glasser. We are very lucky today to have Christine Duffield with us, who is an instructor from the William Glasser Institute Australia. I'm here today with David Olney. How are you, David? Very well, thank you, Tim. That's good. And as mentioned, we have a very special guest. Hello, Christine. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Tim. (laughs) It's good to hear. So, Christine, you work with the William Glasser Institute Australia. I suppose for our listeners, uh, could you please just let us know a bit what work you do within that? I'm classed as a basic intensive trainer. Mm -hmm. People do four days, or sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four days of intensive training. Mm -hmm in Glasser's ideas, and then they go on to do all the other levels. So after the basic intensive training, they might enrol in a basic practicum. And a basic practicum is when they, over a six-month period, they meet with an instructor, and it's how they incorporate Glasser's ideas into their life. They read some of his books, they journal, they practice Part of Glasser's ideas is this thing called reality therapy, which is a counselling technique. They practice that. And then they go on to do an advanced week and so on and so on. So there's several levels. I help people at the start. so that's And I can also do a basic practicum and an advanced practicum as well. So it really is competence-based training. Learn a little bit, use a little bit until it consolidates. And once it's made the solid foundations, then add the next little bit on top. Yeah. Lots of people go to what they call certification level, uh, which is five levels, and then that's enough for them. But I wanted to go on to be able to train people, and so I did some more. But generally certification means you've got a really good handle on what his ideas are, how to incorporate them, you're using them. Yeah. Are there enough people in Australia that you were able to do your training here, or did you have to go to the US? Or I did most of my training in Australia, so I was reasonably fortunate in that. But I did go to Canada to do what's called my endorsement phase to become a basic intensive trainer. So that, that was where the, an, another international conference was. And so I did that training there, but I haven't done any other training overseas. But I know a lot of people who've come before me have had to travel overseas. Yeah, because it's the normal Australian disease, any big idea yep. that you want to be involved in. You have to be willing to put your own money you yes. know, up and travel and go. What drew you to Glasser? How did you find Glasser? Like, I think I was reading a British newspaper, maybe The Independent one day, and there was an article about him and that was how I found Choice Theory. So it was dumb luck on a given morning of sitting at my laptop, scrolling through the British news and, you know, the screen reader starting to read about this amazing person to me. And I'm like, want that book. You know, did you have a similar thing or how did how did you find his work? I, yeah, I often think of that actually. I'm a teacher in a um, Catholic high school in Wyala and at the time when I found out about Glasser, I was in the primary school teaching and I'm assuming that it, there was some professional development made available and I thought, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> and I went along and this wonderful lady called Joan Hookstad was my first introduction to Glasser. So whatever she had to say and whatever she did obviously really resonated Resonated, and I just went on from there. And that's fantastic to mm. think that you didn't just encounter it randomly mm. but that it was quite possibly part of professional yeah. development Yeah. because that was the sort of thing, discovering it within a, a university setting and just quickly asking anyone around me, hey, anyone know anything? No. <laughs> and then talking to the one psychiatrist I knew at the time who just simply went, ooh, this is confronting. Yes. This goes against all my training. I think I'll say no. I'm yeah. like, man, this is not very helpful. How am I meant to learn about this when all I've got is the you know the book to learn from? Well, you can come to one of my basic intensive trainings if you like. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> then I'd have to get you to come to a basic stoic one and then we'd have to make a, a half-breed theory that combines the two. So you've had a chance to listen to, you know, our, yep. well, predominantly, you know, my middle-of-the-road attempt to explain big ideas that I find very interesting but that I haven't had any training in. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to add in all the really important things <laughs> that I don't know and missed <laughs> in a short period of time with clarity? Oh, gosh. Uh. Well, when I, yeah, 
<laughs> no pressure. None at all. When, when I was listening to your podcast, I thought, oh, what do they want to talk to me for? They seem to, he seems to understand exactly what it's about. Oh, I did better than I thought I did. Yeah, you Thank did. Thank goodness. You did very well. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and sometimes too with the glasses stuff, until someone asks me a question, I really don't know what they want to know because glasses stuff is really quite huge. So would you prefer questions then than unpacking what you think we missed? Yeah. Okay, because yeah. something that I found I, I didn't think I could answer well enough to make it clear for Tim, even though I think he knew more at the end, I still felt I hadn't done a good job, mm-hmm. was to really you know, properly explain the implications of the quality world. So a person's quality world is what drives them. So it's, and everyone's quality world is different and what's quality to you might be different, you know. But we have some similar things, you know, if I said to you, you know, who are the people that are important to you, I'm assuming you'd go family, friends. Yeah, like the point Glasser makes that really your parents are pretty much going to be there and that one of the biggest problems is if your parents are actually the biggest problem, removing them is the biggest problem in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And Gosa talks about the fact that our quality worlds are, it's like a photograph album that we add to in our lives and it's sort of after the first person that generally goes in there is our mother. Um, and it's very difficult to take a picture out once it's in. Uh, it's very difficult for me to force something into your quality world. You can layer things and unless you know what's in someone's quality world, the picture they have, once you know that then you can do this reality therapy counselling thing. Mm. Now, a quality world is made up of people, places, things and ideals that are really important to us and is sort of driven by these five basic needs we have. Mm. So you might be aware of other theories where they talk about these needs profile. There's a triangle, is it Cartman? Um, No, Maslow. Maslow, And see, we've talked about (laughs) Maslow for you. But again, I... I deliberately didn't put the five things in the day we did it because mm. I got to the recording day and I could only remember four. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, you're, you're adding something that I, I went, I know I knew that once, yeah. but I didn't know it on the day. So these five basic needs we have, everyone has a, a sort of a, what they call a need profile and there is usually one of those needs that drives us. So there's the need for survival. Mm-hmm. So that's about food, shelter, comfort, order, structure, and really lines up with the base of Maslow's pyramid. Yep. yep. Yeah. And then there's love and belonging. Mm-hmm. So that's about the relationships we have and, and you know, importantly, a relationship we have with ourselves. There's power when you get to feel successful, important and worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Freedom, be able to choose to do this or that. And fun. So they're the five basic needs. Mm-hmm. And they fit in with other theorists but... Glasser seems to have a way of explaining them a lot better, I believe. So, And having fun in there to me seems so important. Like so much of psychology and philosophy lost the significance of just doing things because they're fun because in the delight both comes a reason to be and a different way to appreciate the world. Yeah. And that, you know, this idea now that play is so important for children and adults. Yeah. Yeah, okay, play is good, but remember a big point of play is fun. Yeah. That, you know, the fun is even deeper than the idea of play. Yeah. And Glaser talks about fun being our reward for learning. Mm. So that's that's his sort of idea of it is that, you know, and people who have a really high fun need are people who I can tell in a classroom generally after a couple of, because I teach high school students, I can tell after a couple of weeks who has a really high fun need, who has a high love and belonging need and who has a high power need and all that sort of stuff. And you cater for the group. I remember a few years back I had a class that had really high love and belonging need, quite a few of them. So I just did a lot of group work because there was no way they were going to stop talking to each other. Yeah, so you really work with what's yeah. there. And yeah. this is the thing I've seen from whatever it is now, 17 years of university mm. teaching, is don't go in with a preconception about how the room's going to function. No. Give them the space to show you how they function and then manipulate <laughs> the teaching mechanism Yep. You know, to get the material in the way that's going to work best. So people with the high need for fun, are, are they the ones that normally need as much novelty as possible? Yep. So they're always learning. So again, Tim and I would be great examples of why are we doing a podcast? Because we love learning. Yeah. And often before the microphone goes on, except when we have you know, grown-up guests like you, I'm really goofy and silly oh, I see. to get it out of my system to be, you know, so I can be sensible during the podcast. Mm-hmm. So the learning and the goofiness for me are always intrinsically linked. Mm. I can't help but be goofy when I'm learning. Okay. Mm. Yep. 
<laughs> Which can make me really annoying from a high school teacher I perspective. I just going to say, I'm just thinking of you as a year 10 student. But anyway, no, we, <laughs> I digress. So that, that is those basic needs are what are in us. Glasser says they're innate. And what we have when we were born, the profile we have when we die. So my highest need is survival. So I can remember when I was younger thinking about, you know, why wasn't my mum organised or why didn't this happen or why didn't that happen? And, you know, why can't you do this and that because it seemed to me order and structure. But, of course, she had five children, you know, and, yeah. you know, she <laughs> it, was, it was very hectic, shall we say. So it was organised chaos. Well, basically. But you were looking for more order yeah. in the order. Yeah. That's really interesting because I'd say fun is my driving one, yep. but being blind after that. Survival's number two. And it's not because it naturally fits very well with me. No. But I get a much better outcome if I put it second. Yeah. And also too, we all have a, um, a really – we all have we have the needs and it's not that I don't have no. a need for fun. But it's just the priority yeah, you put there. Yeah. And that's the great thing with Glasser's model, unlike Maslow, where you can only have the pyramid as the pyramid. Yes. Glasser, no, you've got these five, but it's up to you to find your balance. Yes. Now, Tim, where do you reckon your balance fits? <laughs> With only two minutes to think about I'm going to say love and belonging is probably my top one. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say that. Yeah. Relationships are important to you. I would say that. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. very, mm. very much so. Well, again, why do you want to be a long-form interviewer? It brings together the wonderful combination of people, relationships, and learning. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So it's a way for you to double down on the things that, you know, really seem to drive you. Yeah. And and my relationship with, with you, David, as yeah. well. I mean, this is a good example of that. Yeah. So. That's what I'm saying. It's a way to put all the really important bits. And that's the wonderful thing. And I wish, well, I'm glad I didn't remember when we did this the first time because Christine's mm-hmm. got us into it a better way. Mm-hmm. But it is really great that you put the five together in the way that suits you. Yeah. And you just got to remember that if you can only think of four, well, add the fifth one because you still need it. Mm. You might not need as much of it, no. but you still need to acknowledge it yeah. and do things that support it and improve it. Oh, yes, because we have them all to some extent. Yeah. Someone with a really low survival need. They would be your bungee jumpers and your, you know, people who do all those extreme sports and things like that. It's not to say they don't, they want to die doing those things. They want to no. survive, <laughs> and they might have a really high freedom need where they mm. get to choose to do this, that, or something else. People with a high power is the one that's probably most misunderstood because people think it's about being powerful and strong, whereas power over is not is not a good way to get that power need met. So Glasser talks about feeling successful, important and worthwhile. So in my class I might have some kids who are really good at sport, so that's how they get their power need met, mm. and people who are really good at academics, so that they feel successful, important and worthwhile when they get an A. So I've got this bit of a theory, and it's only the Duffield theory, not the Glasser theory, that you know if I went to an AFL football team, there would be a lot of people with a high power need there yeah. because that's how they get that met. Uh, it's interesting sort of you talking about that power need because when I first read it, I sort of jumped back to philosophy because that's most of my training. Mm-hmm. And I jumped back to Friedrich Nietzsche who's also totally misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the will to power is not the will to have power over anyone else. Mm-hmm. It's the will to exercise power over yourself yeah. to make you the most competent version of you yep. you can be. So if you kind of combine a proper reading of the will to power and then Martin Seligman's idea of accomplishment – out of the five characteristics of positive psychology, that you can take great pride in the things you accomplish. Yes. So if you put will to power and accomplishment together, that to me is the, the clearest way I've ever been able to explain Glass's idea of power to anyone. Yep. It's about that feeling in yourself. And unfortunately, some people get that power need met by being very controlling in a relationship, or they might get that power need met by, you know, setting the teacher up, you know, that sort of stuff. So... There are unfortunately not so good ways of meeting that power need. So really for people where that power need is out of control, mm. getting them to understand the significance of do you realise that you're you know, using external control over other people yes. and that you are doing them harm. Mm. And this is a thing from you know, reading so much existentialism and Nietzsche and Stoicism, giving up external control. So many traditions have danced around it without just saying it up front. <laughs> okay. and, and that's a wonderful thing about glass. It's just like external control, bad, don't do it. You know, <laughs> yes, keep it simple, stupid, and just don't yeah. manipulate people. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's because we live in a society that believes in this external control mm-hmm. and really we need to be internally motivated to do stuff. And this is sort of one of the hardest things, I think, being a teacher 
is the system would like you to external control your students to make everything run simply and easily, but you'll get the worst result by using external control on them. Yes. And yet when I get a group of 18 or 19-year-olds who've been through 12 years of school <laughs> and then 18 months of uni where they go, oh, grown-up says X, I do X, I get a high mark, woohoo, I'm out of here. They learn almost nothing. Mm. They connect at no meaningful level. So you go, well, why would I want to do that to them again? So instead you go, well, here's some choices. Pick one. Now, you guys go work in groups. If you waste half the time, I'll glare at you, but I'm not going to tell you off. Mm. And some classes deal with the brilliant, like Tim's class last year dealt with freedom and a lack of external control. And I made it very clear because we're sitting in a uni, you have to hand work up. Yeah. Other right. than that, I really don't want to mess with your day unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. You think how well you lot last year, Tim, used the time in that big ugly basement room. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a lot of dead time until you realized you had to use freedom. But once most groups started using freedom, they used freedom really effectively. It was interesting. So we were basically, for lack of a better phrase, given free time, mm-hmm. like you would in you know junior school, where you yeah. get to play with, play with the other kids, Legos, and yeah. Uh, so or you know make things out of cardboard boxes, um, and I and I guess on an intellectual basis, that's eventually what we did once we stopped talking about what we watched on Netflix the yeah. previous yeah. night. I just had so, to give you a few weeks of wanting to scream. Yeah, again, just they'll come back. They they will. So your love and belonging need got in the way of actually doing the task. <laughs> I'd say that. That's probably true for, for, for the most part. See, I'm I think, guessing in your group that Angus was the driving force for getting the work done. He was very much the order. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so we have probably a few different profiles actually. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's interesting how they all work together. And you need but, them all. You need yeah. someone who's the driver. You need someone who works on the relationships. You need mm. someone who, you know, wants it to look good or to be right. Mm. So... And that's the other thing too, once you know in your class who has what need, when you do groups, you put one of each in the group to make sure things get done, but to uh, make sure there's a bit of fun. and a bit, See, yeah. that's the great thing with you being a high school teacher <laughs> and being able to go, kid, sit there. <laughs> Whereas I'm dealing with people who are allowed to vote. Oh, okay. And you know, go off to war if need be. So it's like, I can suggest that maybe these two groups should merge. Oh, okay. Or that perhaps, the, well, no, officially what I meant to do is they're all meant to enrol in groups within the subject before they've even met each other. Wow. And then okay. stick to that group for the semester. Long. To which I have the poof rule. Like we ain't doing that poof. Yeah. <laughs> so that instead like a good rule. we like just that. say <laughs> start getting to know each other, swap around a bit. Yeah. And just eventually pick a group because they're going to be made to work in groups after they don't have a choice in at work. Mm-hmm. At least they can have one chance of the group really thriving together to learn more and move fast yep. because it is a group of their choosing. Yeah. Like it seems awful to take that away at this level. And they would all have a quality world picture of passing. Yeah. So, you know, that's the picture you've got. So that's what you're working to. Just that some people's quality world picture means a high distinction and some yeah. means a There's P- a fun, P1. There's a fun <laughs> thing I, yeah. I, I teach the students to get them thinking about this and it's a guy from the 60s, Herbert Simon, came up with the idea of maximizers and satisfiers. Oh, okay. The maximizers can't help but want to overachieve mm-hmm. at everything, including picking breakfast cereal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and satisfiers just go, what do I need to get over yes, the quality right. bar wherever yep. I set it? Yep. And the great thing is you're not calling someone a perfectionist or a slob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But the debate about maximizing and satisfying can be yep. really interesting as a group realizes, well, we are at very different levels. Yeah. And we are going to have to compromise. But finding a neutral language, and this to me is another power in the words that Glasser uses. He uses really neutral language where people are talking about the concept, not pointing at each other. Mm. Yes. You know, it's, we should talk about external control, not you're being externally controlling. It's mm. a very sensible approach. Yeah. So let's talk about the idea and take the emotional stress out of it. Yeah. Or at least that's how I read it. I, mm. uh, I hope that's how it's applied. Well, I'd say so, yes. I, um, in he, if you listen to it, he has got a few interviews where he interviews, he does the reality therapy interview with people mm. and it's just a way of getting the person to come up with a plan, not, it's not the counsellor's plan, so to speak. I can't remember which book it's in, but it's about five sessions in and he sort of explains to someone, do you realise that you are not depressed, you are depressing? Yeah, that's, he does the whole uh, And I would love to hear the pause that comes after that as that person goes. Yeah, wow. Oh, and that's not to say that you can't be depressed. No. But in being depressed, you are also depressing yes. because of the consistency of the state. Yeah. And the reason, well, I believe one of the reasons he chose to use the verb form is that by by saying it's something that you are doing, 
then then there's the suggestion that there's something that you can not yeah. do. You, mm. you become an agent. You get your agency back. Change it from the noun to the ver- yeah. you know, verb and then – Actually, just while I was sitting out there waiting for you, that I was reading a bit. He was saying, you know, not to say that depressing isn't useful because you know, if someone no, it's, it's a useful you, tool. Someone close to you dies. You know, depressing is a good thing. It just depends on how long you do that for, and then what you do while you are depressing. Yeah, we're going to do an episode in a couple of weeks on Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections, all about depression. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things in that is he makes the point that in the the DSM, depending on which number DSM, grief is either allowed to be a year or two weeks or two days. Wow. It's like, hello, <laughs> your family member dies, two grief's going to be a year. That, mm. That's a really sensible number and that's not depression, that's grief and it's totally legit. Yeah. And that grief and depression may look very similar. Mm-hmm. But the whole point is if you are actively engaging in your life, you're going to do what you need to eventually transcend it. So again, this thing of giving people their agency back by saying, well, you know, you are grieving. Hey, that's an interesting thing. Never thought of that. Mm. We say that someone is depressed, but we say that someone is grieving. Mm. We okay. leave grief as an active state that you work through. Yeah. Oh. Whereas a depressed is an identifier. Yes. There's something really important in that. There's a big business though too, don't forget. Yeah, and particularly for the drug companies. <laughs> oops, sorry, that was oh, oops, no, no, that's no. it oh. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's really interesting talking about how you use some of this, use these concepts in your classroom. Mm-hmm. Do you use the language as well? Do your, do your kids kind of pick up a bit on? I would say so. I mean, I don't know that I'm going in there saying, right, today I'm just going to do glasses speak. But it's, mm. I think because I've studied it since I looked in my book, I think it was 2004 I was first in. Oh, wow, it's one. becoming so much just a part of your normal so it's day. Just, yeah, yeah, it's just who I am. And I've just, I suppose, internalised it and when... This was suggested to me to do this. I was thinking, what? I don't know anything about Glasser. And, you know, of course I do. (laughs) (laughs) You know lots. (laughs) So, yes, I use it in my classroom all the time. Um, I've actually, this year, I was pretty excited. I'm teaching a positive psychology course. Wow. Oh, cool. It's a a semester-long subject. So I've just had the year 10s and now I've got the year 9s. So it's a four-lesson-a-week, 45-minute lesson-a-week subject. So I'm practicing on them. That's not to say I haven't done it in other years. I have, I teach, because it's in a Catholic school, I teach religion as one of the subjects and I've done it in religion lessons okay. since just 2004. As, just <laughs> built it in because it's so yeah. related. So mm. I think it would be three or four years ago, Martin Seligman was here, a thinker in residence of what, maybe Mercedes College, one of the schools. Was this sort of curriculum worked out while Martin was no, here no. or is this stuff just people have built because they're interested and they think it's important? This is just something that Christine Duffield's done. Okay. So, <laughs> so are you a Martin Seligman I have heard of him well? and I actually, funny, I read it in the paper this morning that he's coming to Australia and I thought, oh, and I did buy one of his books. I've got lots of books that I buy and then okay, read well, a few chapters. If you're going to buy or read one of his, the one <laughs> to read is probably Flourish. Flourish. Because okay. in Flourish he stops using the word happy. Mm-hmm. And he starts using flourish instead. And with too much ancient Greek philosophy in my head, you know, the word happy makes me cringe. Oh, okay. Simply because if you aim to flourish, Mm. you're likely to be happy. If you aim to be happy, you're not likely to do the work to flourish. Okay. It's that's essentially the Aristotelian distinction. You know, when he was writing the Nicomachean Ethics, he was writing ethics for his son, and he was trying to get his son to understand: look, if you do the hard work. Happiness just pretty much follows. Yes. But if you just go and drink wine or go to the gym and hang out with your friends, yes, there'll be a lot of happy in the short term. But mm-hmm. you, know, you won't have a house. You yes. won't have a family. No, no. You won't be respected. Yeah. And from all those things come a lot of happiness. Mm-hmm. And again, we talked about this with Penny Lacasso when she came on and talked about intentional and adaptive quotient. That ironically, the Chinese and the Greeks at the same time in totally different ways got to the same conclusion. Yeah. And that is aim to flourish, not to be happy. Okay, I like that. And Martin Seligman, you know, the initial books were all about happiness and yet he seemed to have an epiphany at some point that, yes, it's a good thing to aim for, but he was undermining the path there by going straight to the end point, which is happy. It's Mm. not that happy still isn't the end point, but it's not necessarily the point to focus on. Yeah. So uh, his five characteristics for flourishing are PERMA, positive emotions, engagement, relationship, meaning, accomplishment. 
Okay. It's interesting how nicely those five things mm. fit with Glass's mm. five needs, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I, there's another man, Pink, I think his name is Stephen Pinker. Stephen Pinker or Daniel Pink. Daniel uh, Pink. I oh, yeah, Daniel Pink talks yeah. about that stuff too. He talks about it and I thought if you just did this, it would be Glasser. And mm. same with Seligman. I must have read something and I thought if you just did this, if you said that, it yeah. would be Glasser. Because Daniel Pink, I think his big thing from memory is intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, yeah. Yeah. which very much taps into the quality world idea very strongly. Yeah. And that is the world pretends we're extrinsically motivated, that mm. you go for the job because they'll pay you this many dollars. Mm. Well, no, you need some money and that's great. Yeah. But if there's two jobs and one slightly less money, what they find study after study is most people will pick slightly less money but infinitely better culture at work. Yes. Yeah. That it's nicer to be there. Yeah. And yeah. the power of those intrinsic motivations of the connection to people, the meaning in being there, yeah. the engagement, the accomplishment of being something greater than making money. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we've been dancing around these ideas literally for two and a half thousand years. Yeah. And every now and then we get someone like Glasser whose clarity yeah. is just so much higher. And it, it almost seems that each time they emerge, they are so outside of the normal range mm. for their period. Yes. And that and that's why your friend the psychiatrist was perhaps a Not little so confronted, happy. A little confronted. Because <laughs> I mean he was the same. He did psychiatry yeah. and he was certainly not Glass welcomed area. welcomed by his by his colleagues and did a lot of stuff that got him into a bit of trouble, I think, but he just believed in his ideas. But, you know, he mm. would write, he wrote them all longhand. That's my understanding of all his books he wrote on plane trips when wow. he was going places and, yeah. you know, could stand up without any notes and talk to an audience for hours. Yeah, and this is the thing to imagine that, you know, Glasser trained with all the right people. Yep. But also all the right people gave him a level of freedom yep. and didn't say be like me. No. They all said transcend me. Yeah, that's right. Take what I can teach mm. you, take what we can learn together and go further. And yet somewhere along the line, psychology, psychiatry in the US hit a wall of conformity. Yeah. So uh, another fantastic example is you know, when a lot of the pilots who the North Vietnamese captured during the Vietnam War were finally returned to America, a young American psychiatrist called William Sledge was asked to interview them all because lots of them wanted to go back to being pilots. Mm -hmm. And therefore some Navy needed to go, well, can we safely let these guys go back? And what William Sledge found out was that 50% of these guys would make the argument that they had come out of being tortured you know, and incarcerated infinitely better people than they went in. Okay. That out of torture came post-traumatic growth. Wow. Okay. Uh, and William Sledge turned up to one of the first post-traumatic stress conferences in the early 80s and was basically booed off stage and mm. accused of being a military stooge. Okay. Because that didn't fit with the mainstream view of trauma. No, no. And I can imagine what it would have been like for you know, an Air Force psychiatrist in his early 30s yep. being just ripped to shreds. Yeah. And you know, I've always sort of thought of him when I think of William Glasser mm. trying to turn the world on its head yes. and say, why are you doing what's normal when you could empower people? Mm. And I think Glasser said a lot of the stuff that's in that those DSNN, you know, some of the symptoms are there, but it's, it doesn't need to have a label. And when he talks about post-traumatic stress, mm. it's, it is, there is stress, but it's not a disorder, so no. to speak. And that's the thing. Once again, he was on the verge of this post-traumatic growth idea. Yeah. But it was just one of the sidelines he could have gone down. Yeah. So it took guys like, uh, well, William Sledge starting it, but then he got so frustrated by the response he got, he just walked away. Okay. So it was 10 years later, it was the early 90s, before anyone worked on post-traumatic growth again. So part of Glass's appeal, mm. like Nietzsche, is the commitment to keep doing what he believed in. Yep, that's right. To yep. go, this is going to hurt. Yeah. I'm going to be an outsider. Mm. There's going to be a small group of people who are absolutely supportive, but in the main, I'm going to be looked at as too much of a wild man, yep. too out on the periphery. Yeah, and that certainly wasn't his driving. He didn't really, I mean, of course he cared what other people thought of him and all that. But he kept going but even when going. it was difficult. And yep. that's... Yeah, I love the examples in choice theory of, of you know, going into, I think it's a school in South Central LA or somewhere, mm. where things have been really bad. Yep. And just turning kids' lives around yep. by just treating them like, you have choice. Yep. But I have choices too. And that is that me and the other teachers can make the rule. As long as you're not disruptive, you yep. can sit here and do anything you like. Yeah, that's right. But the minute you're disruptive, 
get out of my room. Yeah. Now, I can have that freedom in a university mm-hmm. and I, I've only ever chucked out two people in all my years of teaching. Mm-hmm. I just glared and said, get out. Yeah. And it had such an impact on that class for the rest of the semester. It's one of the reasons I've never done it again. Yeah. Because when you actually get along with your students reasonably well, when you actually chuck people out, it has a profound impact. Yes. How have you found it trying to apply what you've learned from Glasser in an education setting? You know, how much freedom do you have to you know, use the ideas or does the system end up getting in the way or have you been able to find a balance? Because I always struggle to find a balance between how I'd like to teach and what the system expects and it's always a bit of an uncomfortable balance. Yes. I think I've been very fortunate in the religion classes that I've taught that I've had the freedom to teach Glass's ideas in that context because mm. it's about, you know, it fits into what we do with our school. It fits into relationship building. It fits into, you know, being human, being mm. responsible, you know, all those things that we have. I think this positive psychology course is based purely on Glass's ideas. So mm. that's been a long time in coming. It's kind of the proof of your 15 years <laughs> of thinking and learning that that's out right. of this seed flowered yeah. this positive psychology and I think, course. You know, like I'm a bit of a believer in things happen at the right time for yeah. the right reason. So. Yeah. Therefore, you know, the, the information and the knowledge I have now is very different. But, I mean, there are lots of people that have developed great programs. One of my dear friends, Ivan Honey, is a psychologist who lived in Bendigo. He's got this program based on Glass's ideas called the Get Happier Project. Okay. And it's, I mean, just, you just want to do it, don't you, with a title like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, in fact, it's called Project. I yeah. do the work, yeah. do the steps. Yeah. So he's essentially taking the modern word mm. but taking the ancient Greek and Chinese implication oh, okay. of the project. Mm. If you do the project, you'll be happy. Yeah. Because he's got it. He's written a program for up to about year eights and I have been trying to trial it with my year nines and tens but one of the main characters in it is this character called Doug Dragster. And Doug gets into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> and through Doug Dragster, Ivan has been able to do a lot of the con- all the concepts of choice theory. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good program. But the year nines and tens, they just look at the. They're beyond it. They, they the, think yeah. they're grown ups. So I, my, one of my little sideline things is writing something that I need to introduce them to Doug Dragster, but not the stories that are in the Doug Yeah, you Doug need Dragster. Doug to basically have um, got his up. first part-time job <laughs> and discovered that he likes cappuccino. And basically, that sort of stuff. So, you know, one of my thoughts was perhaps I could talk to our counsellor at school and just not tell her, I don't need names and places, but some of the issues that some of our need kids some face. some of the stories so to help that put we, it together. Yeah, so, I mean, I've got a fair idea, of course. I've lived in Wyala mm. for a long time, so I know Wyala. But so there are lots of people doing things in schools. Ivan has done a lot of work in Australia. There is another thing that the Glasser Institute is trying to do. They call them Glasser Quality Schools. Yeah, I've always yeah. really hoped it end up being some in Australia because I yeah. would love to be able to make the argument, well, come on, yeah. I teach in universities. Let me become a bit like a thinker in residence just <laughs> so I can watch for a week and yeah. go, well, yeah, I love the example in the, you know one of the books of starting with little kids Yes, and going, little kids, first day of school, do you want rules? No. Let them create mayhem for the first few days. <laughs> oh, I yeah. don't know about that. And then go, okay, do you want rules? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay. You've started to realise that you know, yeah. choice is good and that, that some order is good. And that's what Glasser talks about. You know, your quality world pictures are different to mine. Mm. And just because you have a quality world picture of creating mayhem and fun and all that doesn't can't interfere with my need for structure no. and order. So That we have to have a compromise. We both have to yeah. compromise a bit. So he yeah. talks about... You know, making sure that you don't meet your needs at the expense of others. Yeah. And that's sort of a point. We didn't talk about the counselling side at all because, of course, I've got no background in it, trained as a philosopher. Yeah. The counselling side, I would imagine it's because of the counselling side that the training is so much competence-based and very sort of gradual lock it in, next yep. thing gradual lock it in. Yeah. What's your experience been of, of using and teaching the counselling side? So the counselling, it's called reality therapy and there are, I suppose, four, maybe five steps to it. So you talk about what the person wants. So that's when you get into their quality world. And sometimes the first thing a person says is not necessarily the thing they want. You have to do a little bit of digging around that. Mm. And then you ask ask questions around what are you doing to get what you want. 
you know, to sort of explore that a little bit and then so is it working? You evaluate and then you come up with a plan to get them back to what they want. So there's sort of the four step and sometimes you have to introduce options because sometimes some people don't know. Well, in a lot of cases they've never been given this much freedom before or been asked to get to the, you know, the, the, the deep underpinnings of things. That's right. Do people in your experience, do they engage well with the level of freedom and choice that Glasser is hinting at or is it really confronting for a lot of people? Um, well, I, I don't really mix with a lot of people who know a lot about it. So it's sort of, I think the way that I set my classroom up or however I introduce it to people, it seems to work for them. So really it's, it's bringing it in very much. It's it's in you but yep. you're not forcing it to no, be in them. It's no. just how the room is going to function, how the, right. the day or event is going to be organised. Yeah. You know, I have my boundaries and I, you know, set yep. limits. He talks about the six L's of leadership and one of them is levelling, you know, where you make yeah. sure that the boundaries are there because a lot of people, they give their children a lot of freedom when they're younger and then they try and rein it in a bit when they start to do crazy yeah. Things when they get a bit older and it's a bit too late then because these kids are used to having the freedom. Yeah, and people love knowing that there's boundaries, whether they'll admit it or not. Oh, yes, that's More, right. Nearly everyone does better with boundaries than without. Oh, of course, yeah. And mm. that's sort of the thing is that, you know, teaching in university, it's meant to be they're adults and they've got this freedom, but <laughs> here's this system with 297 pointless rules yeah. about what a degree should look like. Yes. Well, Either you want to give them some freedom or you don't. Oh, okay, clearly you don't. <laughs> You've given them freedom up to a point. That's yeah, right. but a very, very limited point. I'm like, no, no, they're going to go into a world where they've got so many choices. If I don't practice freedom here mm. where the consequences are minimal, but then the they... price is going to be so high later. Mm. But I think we've got caught up in this whole choices thing. We don't really, you know, we, we, there are, we, we have choices, yes, but, mm. you know, we all need to have shelter. We all need to have... Yeah. Money, we all need, you know, this whole thing about, oh, well, that that can all come later. Well, yes, but. It's, it's the whole thing of choice versus free will. We certainly don't have free will and we'd probably be in a heck of a mess if we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have some choices, but they're largely defined by the society you're in, mm. the economic circumstances affecting that society and the history that has affected you and all the people who are part of your world. And I, th- I think one of the re- well, I, there might be lots of reasons why choice theory is not accepted by many. It's that that people think choice means you can choose this or this. That's not the choice that Glass is talking about. He's talking about you've made a choice for the behaviour. So he's got this. I've actually got a picture of it here. Not that it'll be any use to you, David. That's all right. You can explain it to Tim. <laughs> you can explain it to Tim, then the Absolutely. listeners will understand it, and that that might really help people to understand. Definitely. You're not to get freaked out by the oh, actual... Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Glasser started his life as a chemical engineer, okay? Yeah, yeah, well, that's apparent here. This is so like this a... this is an engineer's diagram. Mm. Um, Very technical, obviously. <laughs> and it's supposed to be 3D. So he's m- tried to make it 2D. So almost like a draftsman's drawn a, a piece of equipment or something. Basically. So the sense of shading yeah. in that to give three-dimensionality. So he uh-huh. talks about this real world that's out there. Mm. And in the real world, today's Sunday, we've come in here, you know, it's cold, you know, that's the real world. Mm. For some people, the real world is, you know, a member of their family has cancer or, you know, their grandmother is dying or, you know, that's the real world. And we get information from the real world through our five senses. Mm. And then it goes through what's called our total knowledge filter. And our total knowledge filter is all the things that we know, hence the term knowledge. So some of the things we know and it just goes straight through. Other things we're kind of working out and other things we got, it doesn't even register with us. So if I said to you, I want you to look around the room and tell me all the things in here that are black, you know, you could do that. And I said, well, what did you see that was white? Well, I wasn't looking for why, you know. Yeah, so so that comes down to questions of perception. That's right. Normally our perception is far more limited. Yeah. So we see more than our perception will, will yeah, notice. that's right. Yeah. right. And then it goes to this valuing filter. And the valuing filter is the thing that's connected to our quality world. So the thing that comes in is either red, painful, we have a perception of it. That's when we form our perceptions. It's either red, it's either neutral, we don't really care about it or it's pleasurable. So they're the three things that I th- And depending on that is whether we, whether we have to behave mm-hmm. and then we go into what's called the real world in this total behaviour card, which is another big concept of his, of glasses, in, is there four parts to behaviour. So that's where the choice is. It's the choice in behaviour, not the choice in I can do this or I can do that. 
Mm. So the information comes in, we put a value on it, we mm. make a perception of it, and all of that is connected. The perceptions comes from what... So choice is with. always in response to experience. Yeah, yeah basically. You're, you're choosing how you're going to value what you've perceived. Yeah. And, and, and it's different for everyone. So yeah. that perception, so if there's a game that I play with the kids where we hold up a red piece of paper, a yellow or a green, and so I might say chocolate. So some of the kids hold up green because it means nothing to them. Some of them hold up yellow because it's great. Some of the kids don't like chocolate. Who doesn't like chocolate? But anyway. That's One in one. every class is my observation. <laughs> that's, a, that's a debate. <laughs> or, you know, you talk about AFL football or anything, yeah. Yeah. you know, and they all, yeah. everyone has, and it, the idea is then, if you could give someone some more information about something, you might be able to change their perception of it. Yeah. So, that, you know, that's the idea there. And then we have this thing called our comparing place where we compare what we've got with what we want. And what we want is from our quality well, but what we've got, you know, I'll go to a, a shop and what I want is a beautiful red dress and what's in there is all green and yellow, mm. you know. So what I've got and what I want is sort of out of balance and I can't help but behave to get them in balance because when they're in balance, I'm happy. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, what is homeostasis or something? Like yeah. that. And this is when we get into the total behaviour thing yeah. is that you can affect what you think about, you can affect what you say yeah. and in doing so you will start to affect your metabolism and your emotional state but only ever indirectly. Yeah. So you deal with the things you can do directly mm. and again this is the strong link You know, back to what Aristotle was saying, what Nietzsche said and that is you know, if you take control, you control the things you can and they have a flow on effect to the things you can't. Yeah. You start being an exemplar of the better bits yeah. of who and what you want to be. That's right. And so you know, once you've done that behaviour, you might choose a behaviour that you know about, mm-hmm. that you've done or you might organise and reorganise a new behaviour and that sort of, he talks, Glasser talks about in choice theory terms the areas that you can um, target for change. So what you're doing and what you're thinking so in reality therapy, I might say, what are you doing to get what you want? And they might be saying, well, I'm doing this and is it working? Mm-hmm. Or I can give them maybe some new thinking and some new acting. And I've got, um, you know, the kids at school know that if they want to change what's happening, they've got to change what they're thinking mm. and what they're doing because they're the two parts of behaviour you've got direct control over. And they work with your physiology and your feelings. Mm. So they're the four parts of behaviour. And it and it's, they talk about the total behaviour car because it's like the four wheels of a car. Mm. So You can't um, ignore any one part no, of it. No. Yeah, even if your feelings are really, really annoying you. Yes. Well, just keep working on your thinking and your doing yeah. and the feelings will come That's a right. bit more into line. They'll at least be you know, in relation to the other three enough yeah. to function. Yeah. yeah, and it's the whole thing about if you want to, you can't just change the feeling by just thinking of, thinking, yeah. you know, doing feeling sad or feeling happy or whatever, yeah. you've got to actually be doing something different or thinking differently. Yeah, it's the example I always use with the cane that, you know, if I'm going along and suddenly I feel, you know, find that something like a manhole cover mm. is up mm-hmm. and the cane finds a gaping hole. Yeah. The immediate emotional fear response is monumental. That's exactly right. And you can't control the fear response. No. But you can go, right, you used the cane well, it's why you didn't go down the hole. Yeah. Keep yeah. using the cane well, yeah. slow your pace a little bit, mm. control the rate of your breathing. Yep. And by the combination of what you're thinking about, which is, well, mm. you did a good job and that's why you found it. Yep. And then you know, controlling you know, as much as you can how you're moving, then your heart rate comes back down and the fear that's right. ebbs away. Because it's the thinking and the doing. Yeah, that get yep. it back under control. And yep. that's the most practical example I've ever found of how I do it and learn to do it. Whereas a lot of people would be, their feelings wheel is the one that's huge. And if you've yeah. got a really big back wheel, the car's not going to be very, yeah. it's not going to go where you want it to go, so to speak. Yeah, you don't want to turn yourself into a unicycle no. where the only thing on the ground is emotion, no. is feelings. That's right. yeah, it would be an exciting ride some of the time, but profoundly unproductive. Yeah, yes. It would be very hard to flourish on one <laughs> wheel. <laughs> and so, you know, when I'm talking to kids, I say, you know, how would you like to be feeling? You know, that's the first thing, you know, mm. feeling sad. Well, how would you like to be feeling? And then you try and get them to think of a time when they were feeling happy or whatever it was they want to feel in control and what were you doing then? So it's the whole idea of getting them to see that you did it once, you can do it again and you thinking and feeling that everyone's looking at you or you're feeling sad or depressed isn't helping because, mm. you know, you've got that physiology, that physiological response. Mm. Like you said before, when you're about to fall down the hole, that's an instant 
you know, that gut reaction we have about things. Or yeah, you end up flooded with a whole series of, that's right. that's you know, your body of hormones that you have to then mm. work around because you can't get rid of them. No. You can only burn them off some way through right. being deliberately calm. Yeah. You know, and what you do and what you think. Yeah. I think it, we've, oh, sorry. Yeah, go on. I think we've done like a really good job of expanding on what we talked about in this last episode. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I want to know a bit more about how this is being implemented in the training that you do. Yep. So are you teaching this to like active counsellors? Um, some of the people, I've had some training down in on the in Port Lincoln. So mm-hmm. some of the people there work for, I think it's called West Coast Youth and Community Services. Mm-hmm. They are counselling. So they're upping their toolkit with yep. a different perspective yep. on how to counsel, which is fantastic. Because they're, one of my friends down there, Sue Berry, she... Um, it has done a lot of training as well and because she was at certified level she could do this course called take charge of your life mm-hmm. and that was based on the name of the, yeah, the, the recent book, book. Yeah. so when um, the book came out and people at the international conference got together and decided that we need they needed to do something because people weren't coming to the four days of training four days of training is is quite difficult it's a big commitment yeah, yeah. so they had this one-day course called Take Charge of Your Life and so Sue was doing a lot of that and a lot of the people from that wanted to go on because it resonated. So what they did was there's about six areas of the choice theory that you do in this Take Charge of Your Life day and they, um, yeah, I want to do more training. So that's what happened there. So counsellors, yes, I've taught some of my colleagues at school have been interested in what I'm doing and so therefore they want to. I've only done a couple of training sessions because I'm fairly new at it. But I know that people, for example, Ivan Honey is taking his Get Happier project and he's doing a lot of work in Singapore. Yeah, Um, because they're so focused now on altering mm, their education system to not just be about being highly competent Mm. but about not losing your creativity, not losing, again, the ability to adapt and be emotionally aware as a, a consequence of education. Yeah, and I have a friend who's doing some work in... Queensland schools, just checking that they, along the get glass of quality school, Catholic education here in South Australia did a lot of training a few years back, but they've gone on to a different model. Okay, that's the problem in big systems mm. is normally someone new in a job wants to bring something new in, yeah. even if something could be doubled down on that works. Mm. Yep. So you're always dealing with that human need for novelty, yep. which is really difficult when you're doing a good idea from the periphery that needs time. You, know, you, you get a few people at a time and a few more and it's that slow battle of being an exemplar. Yeah. You know, an exemplar might affect 20 people but those 20 might affect another 50. Yeah. It's that that really slow gain. Yeah, and there is a school here in Adelaide, um, Nazareth College, that is doing a little bit more training with some of the teachers. Okay. So I think that's kind of happening. That is really good news. I mean, yeah, it's we, nice to hear that it's growing because yeah. when we did the podcast, we had no idea mm. you know, if – one, anyone would find it interesting, and two, if anyone who knew more than me <laughs> was going to go, hey. And the great thing was it was almost within a week of doing mm. the original podcast that someone reached out and went, hey. Mm, that's good, yeah. Glass Institute, Institute I mean, and I've certainly done some training in Wyala recently. I changed it. I did so Friday and a Saturday, mm. and then in a month time I did another Friday and Saturday. That seemed to work quite well. Give people time to yeah. digest it. Time to digest, yeah, time. Yeah. And also it wasn't committing to four days. Mm. Wyala as a city has been through so much, mm. you know, going from being an industrial centre. Listeners who are not familiar with South Australia, Wyala was an amazing industrial city mm. where right through I think to the end of World War Two, it was, you know, big ship building and yep. it's always processed steel. So it's kind of a, you know, Heavy industry, but in a beautiful place. Yeah, it's the Detroit story of South, <laughs> South Australia. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, we've we've ended up a little bit better than dear old Detroit. Yeah, I think. yeah. thank goodness. Yeah. Well, we have giant cuttlefish. <laughs> well, that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I wish they'd come back in summer though. It's a bit chilly looking. Apparently, this is the time they're there at the moment. Oh, they're yeah. mating and that, breeding. And that's not fun to paddle around no, the now. It's rather <laughs> chilly in the water. So, uh, have you found that in a community that? has gone through so many trials of what is our community about economically, how do we survive socially, how do we deal with hard times. Is this a community that is that holds together well and is open to new tools to hold together and do well? I think so. I mean, certainly yeah, there's a stoicism about us all. Uh, I just recently thought of a rotary in Wyala, there's some 
thing they're doing and I thought, oh, maybe I should contact because I know the lady who's in charge and I thought, well, maybe I should contact them and see if they wanted me to do take charge of your life. Yeah, give them some help to get started. Just so that because I know that Rotary are into doing helping stuff and on Air Peninsula there is a group. They do a lot of work down there and they're trying really hard to, um, I suppose, introduce the choice theory stuff. They've done a lot of take charge of your life courses there. People have been interested in the smaller communities. So what you see often seems to be historically is that when things are hard, Mm. people go, well, the old model is not working. Yep. I want an upgrade. What can I and do? I'm willing to do the work to yep. build that upgrade. Yep. So there's an there's an openness. And this was sort of Nietzsche's idea. Like he walked up to the, the snow line every day in the Swiss Alps to think because being freezing cold made him think better. Well, okay. Yeah, that was his version. We don't all have to do it. But it <laughs> seems right. most of these people that came up with important ideas that have lasted, mm. those ideas tend to take root yes. in places where things are hard. Yeah, Something needs to be done better and i've and i did a course at the public library um last year year before so over a couple of sunday afternoons so i've been trying to do stuff yeah. but you know working full time and all that so yeah. i sort of think to myself what is it i really want so i do the whole planning thing for myself yeah what do i want what am i doing to get what i want well um, again people can believe in someone who's living what they say yeah and that's always the most powerful ideas that's right yeah you know, where you're an exemplar of the ideas mm. Mm. We talk about that often on the podcast. Yeah. And I think in many ways you're probably doing, from what I can see, as, as much as you can to be sharing. do. Yeah. yeah. Conceive, yeah. Mm. Uh, however, what do you think? Do you think that we could be better implementing these ideas? On oh, a, yes. Yes, yes. I, w- I wanted to get to <laughs> yeah, this question because yes, it's, yeah. you know, as an educator and mm. as well as being involved in the yep. in, in the institute, I'm, I'm sure that you see a need or, or yep. I'm sure that you can see problems that can be solved. Yes. Yeah. by these ideas. Yeah. How would you envision maybe better <laughs> implementing them? Oh, my. Uh, just the so if you had question. another day a week, uh, what would you like to do with yeah. that extra day? So that yeah. way it's only a bit scary. Oh, well, well uh, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, yeah, if I could teach choice theory to the world, I mm. would be more than happy to do that. I'm sort of thinking if just one big business got on board with it or something because it mm. seems to be a lot of, there's a lot of teachers and counsellors in it. But, um, yeah, it needs to transcend to the corporate world and be part of something like the, the conscious capitalism movement. Yeah. For a major corporation to go, look, if we took these yep. set of beliefs on board, yes. it would be the fastest way to people feeling better at work yes. and also being more productive, more meaning and more socially connected. Yeah, it's about, and it, you know, you develop, unless you've got a relationship with someone, you've got no influence. Yeah. So it's about building the relationships and then oh, I guess trying to get people to see that there are ways that we can all get our basic needs met yeah but not at the expense of others well, and maybe. he talks about seven he, seven connecting habits mm-hmm. so and then the disconnecting habits so people complaining criticizing bribing punishing nagging <laughs> I, so what are the connecting habits this is what, so, what a guide for relationships okay. yeah. connecting habits are accepting mm-hmm. negotiating trusting listening encouraging respecting and supporting. I mean, there are there are others, but he just listed those seven. We could have those seven as our motto for the podcast. Yeah, no, exactly right. even just listening to them has so <laughs> brought so, my mood up. So <laughs> the, the and the way I way I could rattle off the connecting habit so easily is if you look at the first letter of every word, it makes the first letter of every word is antlers. Oh. So <laughs> if you're wearing your antlers, you're fine. Cool. People should be wearing their antlers all the time. Yeah, come on. It's yeah, Vikings had cow horns on their helmets. We want yeah, antlers. Yeah, we antlers. So, you know, when you're accepting, when you're negotiating, trusting, listening, respecting, encouraging, supporting, mm. you know, as you say, Tim, it's kind of, oh, I want, that's what I want. So when you blame someone, criticise, complain, nag, you know, all those things punish when you do that. He even talks about rewarding. Rewarding, and I think Seligman did talk about this too, I'm sure, about rewarding people for what they do, not in an effort to control. Mm. So I'll give you an A if you get, you know, if you get an A, I'll give you $50. It can just be a reward. It can't be a control. Yeah. Yeah. It has, you know, but what happens when $50 isn't enough? Yeah. And the kid, then, oh, I'm not going to bother anymore. Well, you know, you need to to do it for what's in it, you know, for the intrinsic. Yeah, and again, that's where we get back to sort of Daniel Pink. Well, with some of the big companies that potentially – Yep. are going to come to Wyalia. It seems that there could be a bit of an industrial renaissance about to happen. Yeah, Maybe you'll finally, with some of these more enlightened companies, get your chance 
for it to be yeah. you know part of a corporate model and if it could work well in a city the wonderful thing is you know while is a wonderful microcosm mm. of yeah. australia as a whole yeah you know, if you could get it working in one place really well then you can make that argument more strongly sounds to good spread to it me. outwards I need to go and talk to my friend at Rotary, don't I? <laughs> Absolutely. And if you need annoying people on a podcast to go, here, see, see, help yeah. Christine, see. <laughs> see, we can do that repeatedly. That's exactly right. Yeah. I think then this is the dilemma that the Institute is grappling with is how do we get the ideas out there because we know they work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a volunteer organisation. I think we, we pay our secretary, receptionist, I don't know what we call her, dear old Paula, she does, she she sort of, now that the conference is coming up, she's stepping up to getting a lot, lot busier and stuff, but, you know, it's a volunteer organisation and that's what a lot of Glass's thing was, is that people who worked, I think the Glasser Institute in Los Angeles, I had a feeling they had a, someone working there being paid and all that mm. sort of stuff, but I'm assuming it was from Glass's money. I, yeah, I'm guessing that it was him Probably paying yeah. to make sure that all the, the administration and yeah. stuff happens. We um yeah. we pay a fee to join each yeah. year, but it doesn't anywhere near cover. I wouldn't imagine. So yes, it's it's there. And I keep a, a few times I've thought to myself, what can I do to get this out there? And then you know get caught up in the busyness and well, it. and then you end up on a podcast, and we can go, listeners. If yeah. you think William Glasser is interesting, yeah. look at the William Glasser Institute. Australia yeah. website, yeah. you know, yeah. sign up to the email list or sign up to the social media yeah. at the very Come least. to the conference in on the Gold Coast. Make sure you're aware <laughs> at the very least. Yeah. It's about, you know, a lot of his books are very, and I, and I you know, when you said about your psychiatrist friend was a bit confronted. Not so happy. Yeah. I have a psychologist, you know, I showed it to, I've shown it to a couple of psychologist friends, same thing, you know. Mm. This man's lecturing to me. <laughs> That's because it didn't fit in with yeah their world view, their, their, yeah, the quality their, world, their, <laughs> their view of what counselling was. So <clears throat> you've kind of mentioned some of the your, your revisions as well. You know, you've yep. got the, the, yeah. the Christine Duffield theories. <laughs> <Yep. so. laughs> Is there anything you think any we've, we've anything missed. extra that that you think or even Glasser missed? Now, t- oh gosh, I'm not going to tell. Oh no, he might be listening. He might, he might be a thunderbolt as I go out. No, yeah. he wouldn't do that. that He'd be like, oh, work on that. Yeah, he'd Add be that saying in. that. That's exactly right. Yeah. He'd be saying, tell me more about that. Mm. No, I just wanted to talk to you about the total behaviour car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I think, and that's the thing that seems to really resonate with kids as well, is that when you show, and, and I give them, I have a whole pile of little matchbox cars that I, you know, give them. And I talk to them about, you know, whichever car you want to be driving, what's the thinking and the acting that goes with that? Mm. Um, because if you're going to, you know, go with your feeling and your physiology, uh, you're not going to perhaps get where, where you need to be or what car you'd like to be driving. And I talked about the quality world. I think, yeah. I don't know if there's anything else unless there's more questions. <laughs> Well, I think think we could talk for hours, but I'm not sure I can think of anything (laughs) that means the listeners would have more. Yeah. They've got enough now, I hope, to go out and get interested and start reading. Yeah, that would be great. It is a bit of a pity, I think, you know, in in an almost kind of conspiracy level that it is going to be difficult, I think, to pick this up in a corporate way because how can you sell anything with this? Yeah. Yeah, but this is why I say within the conscious capitalism movement, it would have to be a company that want people to feel good at work. Yes. And they've already recognised. Look at the companies in Europe that are exploring the idea of people doing a four-day week and still getting paid for five. Yeah. Because what they found is people who know they only have to do four days, their productivity suddenly leaps up. Yeah. Because they still want to get the work done. They want to feel good about what they did at work. But then they just have more time off. Mm. So I think it's not that broadly the corporate sector would grab it en masse. No. But there are certainly companies looking for ways to engage and make sure their people are doing better mm. in terms of their personal well-being as well as their productivity. And the two things normally go hand in hand. Yeah. And I think there's definitely a way forward here. You know, if Martin Seligman can have found a way into the corporate world, having, in my opinion, got it wrong by saying happy first and only finding flourish later, <laughs> then Glasser, who got the bits in the right order, yeah. surely yeah. the idea should have as much success. That's right. And now there are people in Sydney, a friend of mine, she does a lot of work in businesses as well. So it's not just in education. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, that's the tyranny of being in Sydney. She's got access to lots of women. She's done some work in Aboriginal communities. She's mm-hmm. done work in businesses well i think our listeners if you want to do us 
a favor and, and, and Christine and the Institute a favor. Share these ideas uh, with with your friends. Share this podcast. Share the uh, William Glasser Institute Australia uh, website. Yeah. I mean, uh, certainly be contacted. People will talk to them if they have more questions. Yeah. Absolutely. Very open. From our experience, very open and, and friendly. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we did a podcast and out of it, we've got a second podcast and now know there's so much more going on mm-hmm. than we suspected is just fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. But if out of it, you know, the, the flames can be fanned a little bit more and there can be a little bit more activity, all the better. Sounds good to a me. A good news week for us uh, yep. this week. We don't David. always have them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I sometimes have to explain really scary things. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> thank you very much, Christine, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure too. Thank, thank you, you Christine. David. I've had fun. <laughs> Brilliant. Met, met all of my basic needs. <laughs> oh, great day. <laughs> Cheers, David. Thanks. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Ozcast Network. Peace out.